Our Old Testament reading this morning is Exodus chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 22. So we are going to start right at the beginning of Exodus here. Having just finished um, going through the book of Genesis, and even though this is on the very next page from the end of the book of Genesis, there are a lot of years that have taken place in between. And so where we leave off is with um, Joseph uh, dying in Egypt as one of the leaders in all of Egypt. And with his whole family there and in the good part of the land, and it seems like all is going to go well. But then time passes, things change. And we pick up the story a couple hundred years later uh, in the book of Exodus. But before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we do pray that you would help us this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed. God, that we would hear your word for us, your people. And God, that by your word and by your spirit, we would even this morning be changed more and more into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 22 says, These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Turning then to our gospel reading, Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. 
Speaking of Jesus and his disciples, it says, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. Well, as you know, we have uh, just finished going through the book of Genesis, and it only took us 62 sermons to do so. Um, And that was, and what we were looking at in that whole sermon series was the beginning. We were looking at the beginning of everything. And so that started in, I mean, that's what Genesis means. And so uh, we started looking at the beginning of all of creation, and then we look at the beginning of uh, people and the beginning of God's relationship with people. And then we look at the beginning of sin, and then we look at the beginning of the plan of redemption, and we look at the beginning of God calling this one family and saying, it's through you that all of the nations are going to be blessed. And, uh, and we see all of these things, and then we start seeing the beginning of the way in which God is working out his purposes, even through this family, um, even all that time back. And as we looked at all of this, we saw throughout the whole book of Genesis how all of it kept on pointing us to Jesus, and how Jesus continually is the one who is fulfilling all that was coming before. Um, and now what we're going to do is we're going to turn the page a bit, in fact, quite a bit, all the way to the end of the Bible, uh, to the book of Revelation. And um, I know that for some people, as soon as I say we're going to look at the book of Revelation, you immediately go, oh, no. <laughs> Anybody here that's true for? Yeah? Yeah? Oh, dear. Um, that is a shame. I understand it, but that is a shame. Um, the book of Revelation is the completion of this whole story. And uh, it would be like if you watched through a whole movie or series or whatever, and whatever it is you're going all the way through, you get through the whole thing, and you're like, oh, this is great, this is lovely. And then you get to the very last one, and you're like, you know what? I've heard that one's weird. I'm just not going to watch it. It's like, but then you don't know how the whole thing ends. You don't know what the whole thing's been leading up to. Yeah, I just don't want to do that one. That one, uh, no, I'm out. And uh, I think it's even more like that if the person that you heard it's weird from is somebody who never watched the rest of the series. They'd only watched the last episode. They watched the last episode. It didn't make any sense to them. They started telling you what they made out of it, and then you're like, oh, that's, that does sound weird. That sounds like a completely different thing than the whole rest of the series. Yeah, that, man, that got weird. I don't, no, I'm not even going to watch it. On the other hand, you go through the whole story, and you get to the end, and you go, oh, my goodness. This is the one that connects all these pieces. This is the one that uh, shows how it all goes together. That was a very fitting and satisfying conclusion, <laughs> 
That's what revelation is. That's what it's supposed to be. And when we make of it something else, we really make a mess of it. I always tell people with the book of Revelation that we, uh, it comes at the end of the Bible for a reason. And it's because it is a book that comes with 65 prerequisites. It is the 66th book of the Bible. And so it's got 65 other books that we ought to have read with reasonable comprehension uh, to get in there. Uh, So one of the reasons why people tend to be a little standoffish with this book is because it seems like it's some totally other thing, like it's telling a very different story than the rest of the Bible. It's not. It is the fitting conclusion of the whole thing, uh, and that so many of the themes that have been going through the Bible uh, find their resolution in Revelation. The other uh, thing that is important to remember is that it is about Jesus. That's what the book of Revelation is about. And you will hear a lot of people teach a lot of things about Revelation that make it about something totally different. Here's the way I like to think about it. You know those magic eye posters that used to be really popular like in the mid-90s? And uh, it was it just looked like static. And so it's like people are hanging pictures of static on, uh, on their walls. And that is what it would look like. But then if you would go, what it really was was very carefully... Uh, placed uh, dots that just looked like white noise. But if you got your eyes to focus just right, it ended up actually getting some of those dots, like it would make everything kind of shift together and you would sort of overlay the right parts on the right parts. And when that happened, you would actually see in three dimensions some image that was actually there all the time. You just couldn't see it till your eyes were focused right. I feel like that's a lot of what happens with Revelation is you're looking at stuff is layering all kinds of things on top of each other. You're laying, layering things like the whole of the Old Testament on top of the whole of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on top of uh, the whole of what was going on in the early church and their situation within the uh, whole of the Roman Empire. And so you have all of these things that are kind of layered on top of each other, and it's only when they all line up right that you go, I see Jesus clearer than ever. I see Jesus clearer than ever, and I see how he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I see how he is the answer to the whole thing, and I see how um, the whole story comes to its resolution in Jesus. You see this in the Gospels, but you see it kind of like this blind man where... um, Jesus heals the blind man, and he's like, okay, what do, what do you see? And he's like, or can you see? And he's like, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And then he touches them again, and now he can see clearly. And it's almost like in the Gospels, we have this uh, image of Jesus, and it's very much like Peter who kept on thinking he knew who the Messiah was, thinking he knew who Jesus was. And it was very much all about this is conquest and it's victory, uh, just in the same way all the nations of the world have conquest and victory. And we're going to do that, but now we're going to do it with Jesus as a leader. And we're going to do it in the same way, though. And Jesus kept saying over and over again, no, not like that. This is going to be very different. I'm going to go actually to Jerusalem and die. And Jesus is the one we see as uh, more like the sacrificial lamb in um, at Passover time, who gives up his life for the salvation of others. Peter doesn't get it. He tells Jesus, "No, Jesus, you're not going to die. You're going to you're going to be the one that wins." 
And what Jesus keeps <laughs> having to say to him is, you don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind human concerns. That is the way that people tend to try to win. That's not my way. I'm calling you to follow me. I'm calling you to follow my way. And so one of the things that we see in uh, the book of Revelation is the Lion of Judah that we just talked about a few weeks ago in, um, in Genesis. It was promised all that time back, this lion, and how this lion actually is the lamb. And you go, well, how do you have a lion that's actually a lamb? That seems weird. <laughs> we'll get into it. And that brings me to the other reason that people tend to stay away from the book of Revelation, which is it uses all kinds of weird symbols, right? If there's one thing people know about Revelation, there's lots of weird images that are in this book. And so you have, um, like, there's a, a lamb. It's got, it's got eyes all over, or seven horns. What kind of an animal is this? And you see several creatures that have eyes that cover their whole bodies. And you're like, this is bizarre. And you're like, well, maybe if I drew it out, that would help. And I don't think it does. <laughs> uh, in the same way, you may have seen a picture of the... Uh, in the Song of Songs, where there's like this beautiful love poem, and somebody has taken a uh, one of those parts of the book, and it's like, oh, your um, your teeth are like a flock of uh, goats, and I don't remember all of that, <laughs> but uh, it's got all these. Your uh, nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. It's got all these images for just how beautiful his love is. Uh, this this woman is, and somebody took that and they actually like drew all the things, and it's just a monstrosity. <laughs> it is not a beautiful woman; it is just terrible. Um, and I feel like the same thing with Revelation. That the point is not to draw it out and go, "Oh, now I see what this thing is," and if I see that ever show up, then I'll know that's the thing from Revelation. It's like no, that is supposed to help us understand something better. In the same way that um, you get that with the imagery in, you know, love poetry or whatever. I actually uh, read a guy, New Testament scholar, um, N.T. Wright, who says, you might have thought that in a world of clever movies and DVDs stuffed full of complex imaginative imagery, we would take to Revelation like ducks to water. But it doesn't always seem to work out that way. As a result, many people who are quite at home in the Gospels, Acts, and Paul find themselves tiptoeing around Revelation with a sense that they don't really belong there. But they do. This book, in fact, offers one of the clearest and sharpest visions of God's ultimate purpose for the whole creation and of the way in which the powerful forces of evil at work in a thousand ways, but not least in idolatrous and tyrannous political systems, can be and are being overthrown through the victory of Jesus the Messiah and the consequent costly victory of his followers. This is what this book is about. And this is, uh, and it uses all kinds of images to get us there, but it's to help us to understand. In fact, now that we actually are going to open it up and look at it, we're going to look at just the first three verses today. And um, if you're looking at your clock, don't worry. I promise you I'm not going to say all the things that I would love to say. <laughs> anyway, here we go. Just the first three verses today. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. 
He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. The very first thing that this book says, the reason that we call it Revelation is because it says the revelation from Jesus Christ. Now that word from is actually one that can be, it's not even a word, it's a grammatical construction that could be translated either from or of and a lot of people think that, I mean, you've got to pick one when you're put into English, but a lot of people think that that was actually an intentional thing on John's part because it is both from Jesus and it is about Jesus. And um, anyway, but it is a revelation. It is a revealing. It is, uh, <laughs> I like to think of, you've seen the movie The Wizard of Oz and there are all these things going on about that great and powerful Oz and then, you know, the little dog Toto goes over and pulls the curtain back and you see the guy like pulling the lever. He's like, ah, never mind. Don't pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Remember that? It's like that is what is happening with this book about all these world systems that are opposed to God. That they are being revealed for who they are and that they are not as dreadful and terrifying as we think they are. And that it's also revealing how great God actually is and how in comparison, that's what we see here. And we see how the victory of Jesus is so not the way the world does it, but it is so much greater and it is so much better. And so we see kind of a curtain pulled back on the whole of the world. Uh, but the part that is uh, a bit terrifying is that it does reveal not just what's going on out there, it reveals what's going on in here too. And as we read this book, we find ourselves being exposed. We find ourselves, uh, <laughs> find our hearts being revealed as to which, um, which God we truly love, which God we truly serve. Is it the one true God or is it uh, some other false God that's trying to put itself up as the one we ought to follow? And uh, the one that many and many, not only individuals, but systems have been built uh, around. We find ourselves kind of like Abraham after the Tower of Babel. We have all these people who have come together and said, we are going to do it apart from God. And then God calls this one guy and says, I want a relationship with you. I want to do things through you. That's where we find ourselves as we are um, reading Revelation is uh, going through that same kind of situation. In fact, just as God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you. We just read that in uh, the first three verses. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who, take it, who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. When it says the time is near, there's a lot more we'll talk about with that as we get going on this in weeks to come. But this is very much the same kind of thing that Jesus said when he came preaching and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or is near. Same kind of thing going here. Also, same kind of thing here as what we see at the end of Jesus' sermon on the mount, where it is not just those who hear it who are blessed, but it's those who hear it and take it to heart. 
as uh, Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, um, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Remember that? But it's everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. And so uh, most of what people have gotten from the book of Revelation, they actually get not from Revelation itself, but almost like hearsay about it. <laughs> they get it kind of third hand or fourth hand. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through it together. We're going to hear from it firsthand, see what this actually says, um, hear what God's message is for his church. Um, as we go through this, I think that together we will see Jesus more clearly. I think that together uh, we will be blessed and we will be encouraged, uh, particularly in a time where, um, where it is important to be able to tell the difference between the one true God and all of the false idols that are being offered on a regular basis. And so uh, that is where we are headed for this morning, though, uh, the main thing I want us to remember is this is the book that, as it says, the revelation from Jesus Christ it is also revelation of Jesus Christ, that it is this book that uh, ties together how Jesus really is the, uh, the one who has defeated the powers of evil uh, at, and evil and sin and death at the cross, and that means good things for his people now and in the future, but not in the same way the world defines good things. We'll see more of that in the weeks to come. Uh, but for now, be intrigued, be encouraged, be not afraid. <laughs> in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.